Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi there, and welcome to season two of the Wholehearted Healer podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here listening. Um, I have had a fun summer talking to amazing individuals from all over the world. This first episode uh, is a connection I made with Alison Davies. Uh, She lives in Tasmania, an island off the southern coast of Australia. And I came to know about Alison during the pandemic. She uploaded a short video from her kitchen (laughs) singing this beautiful song, Every Little Cell in My Body is Happy. Um, and it really struck me. It, it came at a moment during the pandemic when there was so much unknown and so much fear. And hearing that, that song um, made my day better. And that video kind of went viral around the world. It has over 12 million views at this point. And Allison is on a quest to help us remember that music and singing and using our voice can go a long way in helping us feel safe in the world. And so I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Allison Davies. I found her to be genuine and enthusiastic and warm. And I'm hoping that you get a lot out of this, this interview. So thanks so much for listening. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Allison Davies. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Avine Banish, and I'm so thrilled today to have um, Allison Davies on as a guest. Allison is someone who she probably doesn't know it, but um, a, a short recording she made at the beginning of the pandemic really eased my heart and made um, soothed my children's hearts as well. And so um, I'm excited to talk to her a little bit about Allison. She creates online resources for parents, educators, and support staff, and works with schools to to deliver professional development around the topics of childhood brain development and the use of music as a regulatory tool. She's an independent liberatory scholar, currently exploring the gatekeeping and classroom of the social construct musical versus non-musical. She's a former registered musical therapist of 16 years. Allie left the allied health industry in 2021 in order to align her work more deeply with culturally responsive practices and to switch her focus from the individual change to socio-cultural change, which is very exciting. Allie um, is an autistic person with attention, sensory processing, and executive functioning difficulties. She works within a neurodiversity framework that favors deep acceptance and regulation over assimilation and intervention and shares her lived experience of autism openly with her seminars, workshops, and conferences as part of her emotive storytelling mixed with science approach to education. So Allison, welcome. Aw, thanks for having me. And Allison is in Tasmania, so we are Zooming halfway across the world. 
Um, and I'm sure Allison, it's, you know, that I, I went back and I watched that short video that I'm sure when you created it, you were just being your warm emotive self. And the last time I checked, I think it had been viewed like 4.1 million times. Yeah. I, I really had no idea. I mean, I didn't even properly get dressed that day. I was just in the kitchen. I had the camera angled down so you could see about three chins and I was, you know, not really, I wasn't expecting anything. I was just, this song popped my head, which I'd sung many times um, in my years as a music therapist. And I felt, you know, this song could be really helpful right now in the world. And uh, I, I still didn't, in Tasmania, we were the last, we were literally the last place in the world to get COVID. It didn't come here until this year. So I still didn't really understand the depth of what was going on. Um, but I knew that the song was probably needed. And I just sang it on my Facebook page live and boom, <laughs> overnight. It just, yeah, it, 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 um, it, you know, over the next few days I had phone calls from the BBC and the news and the TV and all over the place. And I, I didn't realize how much people were seeking a, um, uh, a small, simple, effective, common sense, um, you know, emotive, easy thing that they could do uh, in their homes that would make them all feel safe. And it was so simple, but that was why it was so powerful. Yeah, I think it was simple, but, you know, on this podcast, I'm really interested in talking to people who I see as living wholeheartedly, who are showing up. And so it was the way that you presented it as well. I mean, it was your vulnerability, your, just your presence, I think, that that also soothes people. Thank you. Because I I have a very strong calling and I have a very strong feeling that my work and the purpose for my work, the legacy I'm trying to leave, is to help people understand that music is a tool for safety. And, and I get in my mind, I see it all the time, music equals safety, music e equals safety. And so I'm constantly thinking, how can I help people understand that they can use the way we use music as lullabies with newborns? We can do that with our older kids. We can do that with ourselves, our husbands, our wives, our teenagers, like our parents. Um, we stop using, we tend to stop using music as a tool for safety as soon as a baby is a toddler and then we use it for play and entertainment and development. And um, so I feel very passionate about, so when this, you know, when I really felt like this song actually could help people feel safe right now and then it went, I think it's 12 million or something. Wow. Um, that says in my end anyway. <laughs> um when I saw that that many, and I still receive emails all the time from people all around the world who are still using the song and benefiting from it and singing it in, in oncology wards and singing it in thousands of different languages and in sign and in all different ways and places. And, and um, I, I realised that, yeah, there's, there's truth in this need for people to remember that music is a tool for safety. I love that. You know, um, I, I teach some sound healing and some um, mindfulness to, to students and teachers. And uh, my background, I'm trained as an ophthalmologist. And I tell the students the story that the first day I was um, at the scrub sink, to, I had to go into the operating room by myself. I freaked out. I started to have kind of a panic attack. My hands started to shake while I was washing my hands. 
And I grew up singing and I, but I really shut that part of myself down during my medical training. But that day at the scrub sink, all I could think to do was sing. And it calmed me down enough that I could go and do my job. And so I, I love that connection of this simple free tool that whether we think we have a quote unquote good voice or not, we can use as medicine to calm the nervous system. Absolutely. And there's so, I mean, there's no end to the benefits of how, you know, singing that one little tune, every little cell, there's no end to the benefits or any little tune um, of how that can impact the nervous system and to calm. I mean, even just singing out loud by default is a controlled breathing exercise. Mm-hmm. Sing a phrase and then we take a breath and we sing another phrase and we. it's the same as reading reading out loud. So when you read out loud to your children or when your children read out loud to you, it's it's speaking a phrase, then breathing, speaking a phrase, then breathing. So the whole thing is a controlled breathing exercise. And then there's, so I love the, the impact, the relationship between music and the brain is just literally off the charts. <laughs> when we experience music, more of our brain becomes active all at the same time than it does when we experience any other thing. So this is research. This is science telling us this. So when our brain experiences melody, the limbic system becomes active and it allows us to move emotions through us. That's why we cry at the movies. Mm-hmm. Soundtrack. Um, and so singing a tune that has a simple melody, like any nursery rhyme, any lullaby, any hymn, any simple kind of Christmas carol, anything that's simple and repetitive and melodic, that activates our our limbic system in a way that allows us to move emotions through us. It means that the emotions stop becoming pent up inside us until we burst Mm -hmm. um, and they constantly move, which is what, I mean, um, emotion, energy, uh, emotion is very literally energy in motion. So it needs to be moving through us all the time. So when we sing, even if we hum or we whistle, even if we think a melody, and the science shows us this too, even if we are thinking a melody inside our head, our brain is having the exact same response as it would if we were actually making the melody or listening to it. So that. it's no wonder that singing helped calm you in that moment. Yes. And, you know, it's the same sort of thing as singing in the shower or singing in the car on your way to work. All of these things that um, I think when we were teenagers, you know, that was music for my teens anyway, is so important. It takes on this mythical proportion. Um, I'm just curious in your day to day, are you singing much of your day? I tend to. So this is what happened as a child. I did. My life was music. I was daydreaming music. I was singing music. I was making rhythms. And this is as an undiagnosed or unidentified autistic person. This is Mm -hmm. how I regulated. This is how I listened, focused, made eye contact, all of that stuff. And I just thought that was normal. I thought music was actually like oxygen. I thought that you couldn't even be alive if you didn't have music going constantly in your head. So it was constant and I was also playing instruments and playing music. And then similar to you, I went to uni um, and stopped doing music. Uh, Even though I was studying to be a, uh, I did a Bachelor of Music and a Bachelor of Teaching and a Master of Music Therapy and all of those things involve music. Um, So I was learning music, I was studying music, um, but I wasn't just doing it for myself in the same way. And I think this happens to a lot of people like, oh, I missed out the teenage years. Music 
is inherently connected to the identity that we seek as an adolescent. So the, our music choices influence what we wear, who we hang out with, where we go, what brands we sort of engage with. Um, mm-hmm. Our music choice impacts everything to do with our identity. So everyone during that adolescent stage has this incredibly deep relationship with music, whether they consider themselves musical or not. And then we tend to get to adults and a lot of us are like, oh, I used to play the flute but I was no good at it so I stopped. Or I love to sing but I'm not very good so I'm not going to sing out loud in front of people. And I'm too busy. Music was my hobby but now I'm busy. I've got more important things to do. And, you know, we all do that. And, you know, often for me when I had my kids, when I was pregnant with my first, uh, I was so sick every waking moment that I couldn't actually open my mouth so I couldn't sing. I was scared if I sang, I'd be sick. And so I I had this whole pregnancy without being able to sing once. And then I had an autistic child uh, who was really distressed all the time and screaming all the time and didn't sleep. So it just just left. Music just became not something I had the space to engage in. Mm -hmm. I had to really work. I had to remember what music was like for me as a child and how it's kept me alive. And I had to remember... Uh, I mean, and I'm a neurologic music therapist. Well, I was, so I knew exactly how important music was for my brain and and I had to remind myself. And so I started singing melodic, what I call melodic mantras every day, which are just short phrases um, that help remind me of truths that I need to embody and they help me heal and they help me function. And it's just short, repetitive melodies that I sing over and over there's no real practice. Like I'm not doing 108 rounds or doing, mm-hmm. doing half an hour of it. It's just, so I am now singing again every day, not formally like I used to, like in a formal manner. I don't get out my instruments as much anymore. I just incorporate music um, the way any busy mum probably would. <laughs> I'm wondering if, you know, there's someone listening who has somehow not heard that viral um little ditty if you could sing any sort of melodic mantra just to give an example for people who may not have heard your beautiful voice before sure uh okay I'm gonna sing you the one that I was just singing this morning okay (laughs) just telling you before we went on that you know I didn't sleep at all last night neither of my children one of them slept for three hours and one of them slept for zero hours so we have all been awake and I was feeling emotional and tired so I was singing this It's okay to cry, I'm allowed to cry, it is safe to cry, so I cry, cry, cry. And I was just seeing that over and over a few times and it was so helpful because all I need to do was to remind myself that all emotions are okay. It's okay to be tired. It's okay to cry. I changed the word a bit. Sometimes I was like, I sang, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to (laughs) be tired. (laughs) Um, And for me, that melodic mantra is powerful because as children, no one really ever actually taught us that it was okay to cry or that it was okay to be angry, and we have such a terrible relationship with anger um, because no one ever taught us that it was okay. So for me, those words are important and meaningful and healing. 
Um, but the, the actual just melody in and of itself is allowing emotion to move through me. Um, and the singing is a breathing exercise. Um, and the rhythm, the repetition of it creates this, repetition creates a sense of predictability, which allows our brain to feel safe because if our brain can predict what's coming next, and it can because it's the same words coming next and next and next right. and again and again, and the brain's like, oh, I know what's coming next, and then you sing it again and the brain's like, oh, yeah, I'm in control right now, and we start to come out of survival mode. So I was singing this song and I actually didn't need to cry, but it helped me. I, I didn't need to cry because the song was helping release the things and um, helping my brain feel safe even though I was tired. And so I started to feel uh, uh, lighter. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like by bringing awareness to how you were actually feeling and not pretending or stuffing it down or just soldiering on. I mean, it's this beautiful tool that you know, you can still be doing, you can be still doing the dishes and, and doing stuff around the house while you're singing this little ditty. And I think it's a beautiful modeling for your children as well. Yeah. Because the children, <laughs> I've tried to do melodic mantra with the children, be like, Hey, let's do some singing. And they're like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> all I have to do is do it myself. And they just are somewhere else in the house hearing that. And I've planted the seed and I know, and because this has happened, I've, I've tried to do it with the kids before they've said no. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'll hear one of them singing. I heard one of them singing in the shower once. My body, my rules, my body, my rules, my body, my rules. And I was like, oh my gosh, my job as a parent is done. <laughs> See, because I was singing that to myself and one of them overheard it. And uh, the seed was planted and then that, that tune. The other thing with short, repetitive, very simple melodies is that they very easily become earworms. Mm -hmm. We think that we don't like earworms. Cognitively, we think we don't like them because they're annoying, but they're actually great for our brain, unless for some reason they cause us a lot of distress. Um, but if we can let go of just the the thought that they're annoying, they're actually great for our brain. Our brain is experiencing music and repetition whenever we have an earworm going on, which, and mm -hmm. so an earworm is just a tune stuck in your head going over and over and over. And we know because the science shows us that when you think music, it is just as powerful and your brain is having the same response as if you were singing it yourself. So when you sing something simple like my body, my rules, my body, my rules, it's likely to get stuck in other people's heads. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it's, it's almost like it's contagious. And this is a way of, of planting seeds in a way that your children can bear witness to you expressing yourself musically, which not only gives them tools for their own regulation, but it also teaches them that you don't have to be a pop star. You don't have to be Lady Gaga or Beyonce to be to sing out loud. You don't have to sound good. It doesn't matter. And, and that's something that a lot of people in our generation carry. We think that to be musical means you have to be good at music, uh, whatever that means. Um, and so we carry that burden, uh, but if we sing and express ourselves musically, no matter how it sounds, our children won't carry that burden. And we can stop that whole musical shame thing in one go if we all just started expressing ourselves musically. And I know that this is a big problem because after every little cell, 
I had hundreds of emails and messages from people saying, I really wish I could sing that to my kids, but I can't. And the two main reasons were, I don't want my children to learn how to sing out of tune. So I I think I'm going to mess up my children if they hear me sing it wrong. And um, I'm too embarrassed to sing out loud. And I knew that this was a real issue, but I didn't realise how deep it was. This actually is the whole reason, one of the reasons I stopped working as a music therapist and started looking at the cultural impact of why are we all so afraid to express our musicality and have have relationship with our musicality. Um, I had no idea how hard it was for so many women, especially because they were the ones contacting me, to sing out loud even in front of their children. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I can... I think there's a lot of programming that happens even in school music classes. And it's amazing because children up to a certain age, I feel like many of them will just sing without abandon and then kind of a a switch flips. I don't know, sometime in adolescence where suddenly it's, it's like we go silent. Yeah. I think it probably is even earlier than that. I don't know. I've always wanted to do this study where I go into classrooms and starting with early learning childhood you know babies rooms in in um uh child care centers and whatnot and ask all the groups who's musical and just get them to put their hands up and then to see at what stage it stops mm-hmm. is it prep is it grade one is it grade five you know to see if there's a pattern um because you know traditionally and before the colonization of our countries Music was used as everyday. It wasn't a skill that you learned. <clears throat> there were musical people for sure and there were leaders. However, everyone was musical and music was part of community and ritual and togetherness and communication and sharing of it, education, sharing of information. It's how That's how people learned from songs. And then sort of about five, four or 500 years ago, music changed it became like something for the rich people in the the kingdom the courts and the rich people they got to listen to the musicians and the musicians were highly educated people and then all of the peasants didn't get to have that (laughs) and they were still just making music but in their own little groups by themselves and all of a sudden music became this us and them and it became like rich versus poor um it became a very privileged thing Mm -hmm. And, and that's the same even now because, you know, to think that um, to think that only the musical the musical kids are only the ones whose parents can afford piano lessons for them or who are physically abled enough to play guitar or emotionally confident enough to stand in front of the school assembly and sing on a microphone, to think that those are the musical kids and everyone else aren't is ridiculous. It's such a sign that we still have this immense privilege on what we think music is. Uh, And, you know, the whole idea of singing out of tune doesn't make any sense um, because whose tune is in and whose tune is out. (laughs) You know, there's no such thing as singing out of tune unless you unless you're singing someone else's tune, and the the Western scale is so modern. I mean, you can trace it back to ancient Greece, but really, you know, it's it's not the be all and end all in terms of what's musical or not. 
so we are we really are trapped in uh, we are victims of this of this change in the musical world and and we now definitely feel shame we carry shame around not being good enough at music um so Alison what's your dream you, you know you've made this shift you know you for 16 years it looks like you were you were a registered musical therapist and now you're shifting your focus what is the dream my dream is to help people use music as a tool for safety in their own lives and to remember their relationship with their voice and and remember that they are musical beings i believe that you know to be human is to be musical i know because i know the science that the brain is a musical organ um, there's no doubting that in my mind. I mean, this isn't in a textbook, but I, I believe that music is to the brain as oxygen is to the lungs or air is to the lungs. Like we are musical beings. We are. Um, and I just, you know, one of the reasons I came out of, of working in the allied health industry is because I realised, and I'd felt this for years, that I was working in an industry that definitely has a place and I really loved my time there and so this isn't poo-pooing the allied health industry. However, I felt that we were like working with people to try and help them be different or change or fix. And whilst we were doing this, there was this whole world outside around us where there was systemic abuse and discrimination and racism and transphobia and homophobia and all around us are all these systems that are against us. And then it's almost like victim blaming, like let's fix this anxiety when the whole world is not, built for us to be to is not conducive for us to be whole and healed within so I decided to shift to pivot and to start looking at how can I change the culture how can I have an impact on the systems that are are against the people you know I started to think how can I be soft on people and hard on systems (laughs) and you know I know it's just within music that I'm focused but I truly believe that if we can shift this sense of like of people thinking that they are or aren't musical and start to support people to express themselves musically, I think that we will shift this entire narrative around anxiety, childhood anxiety, adult, everyone, everyone's anxiety, because knowing that music is a tool that impacts the brain and how it can soothe our nervous system and bring us out of a state of survival mode I know that if people felt safe enough to express themselves musically in whatever way that looks, doesn't have to be playing an instrument, that's for sure, or singing in tune, um, that I know that anxiety will change. So I, I feel like it's really important. I've got a big goal. It's a big goal. I love I it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think of it makes me think of the times in my life where I have sung in group, be it at a concert, um, in, you know, chanting in, um, I do some, uh, kirtan, you know, singing in church, there is a bomb that happens to a group when we sing together. Like it's as if the energy, we know this, right. We've all felt that that magical moment. We don't care in that moment, how we individually sound because we get so wrapped up in the beauty of sound in a group. Yeah. And I think uh, I've been thinking about this a lot um, 
because I think the whole, the definition of music, I have never found a definition of music that I like <laughs> um, because nothing includes that feeling. Nothing includes that it's, it's almost, I think, a multidimensional experience of oneness. You know, it's, it's spiritual. It's bigger than what, it's bigger than melody and rhythm. It's, it takes you into an altered state of consciousness. And that feeling that we've all experienced when we're singing in a group or we're at a festival or wherever it might be, that feeling is euphoric and it's, it's one of the most important parts of music. Um, yeah, I think about that a lot. That 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 feeling, that potential music has to heal us, takes us to a whole new level. Not just healing our 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 nervous system, our brain, and our anxiety. It has the potential to expand our consciousness into like places we don't even know how to explain in words. I think. Well, and it's I see it as one of the tools. I mean, at least here in the United States, I mean we are so divided, right? There's so much violence. And when you talk about anxiety, not just in children, but in, in, uh, in everyone. And so it seems that we were given this tool that's within us, that's free, that's always there. Um, so I love, I love the audacity and the, the hugeness of your goal. And it seems as if, um, if that one video was any indication you people do respond to you and your energy. And so you're very powerful as a, as a conduit for this message. I feel. Thank you. I feel really blessed because I do tend to just open my mouth. I'm a, I'm quite a confused person in real life. I get very confused and I'm like, I'm so, because I'm autistic, I used to have this thing. I used to say all the time to myself, like, how can I be so smart but so dumb? Because I can, you know, read research and do theses and, 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 but then when it comes to simple things, I get so confused. Like, I can't understand recipes or lists. I can't follow a list. But, you know, so with this, and I've tried so many different types of work and jobs and things, and I'm always so confused and it's so hard. And then when it came to doing this work where I just started talking about music, this is how it started. I just made a Facebook page one day quite a few years ago now just started talking about things I was thinking of to get them out of my head it was like my diary and and the words just come out in ways that I know make sense and I know in ways that I know create emotions in people who are listening and it it's almost like this work needs to come through to the world and I am just humbled to be um a channel for it to it's like I, opening my mouth is like turning on a tap. It just comes from somewhere and then comes out. <laughs> and I really do feel that, um, you know, it, that is very validating for me and exciting because in so many ways I've, I've struggled to get my point across when I communicate. But when I talk about this, it's just all there. Yeah. And, you know, your your willingness and your openness to talk about um, your journey with autism or, you know, neurodivergence, which I have four children and I, I feel as if it's a scale, it's like a musical scale. We're all on it on some degree. And in, in, in different areas, I feel like, um, we all have our, um, our quirks, you know? Um, but I just wonder if you would talk about that experience and, and was it, 
you know, finally getting that diagnosis, was that something that was helpful? Did it feel like coming home somehow? I, yeah, I was just, I was really struggling in life. Like I was quite non-speaking a lot. I was shut down. I was dissociating from my body. I couldn't finish tasks. I couldn't remember how to make a cup of tea. Like I was, I was at a really point where I was really struggling. Um, And this was because I think music had been my tool, my regulatory tool forever. And then I had the kids and not only did I then not have space to access music consistently, but I also had a, a lot of extra noise and touch and sensory input. And I didn't know I was autistic. I didn't know that I had all these sensory needs because I'd always managed them myself throughout my life um instinctively and so I started to really burn out and uh you know I was diagnosed with postnatal depression of course because I just had kids but I knew that it wasn't that I just I just didn't feel depressed (laughs) none of the normal depression you know characteristics were anything that I was really feeling or thinking Mm -hmm. I always had a really high sense of self and I I I wasn't feeling flat or low or any, anyway, I just knew that it wasn't depression, but I didn't know what. And when my daughter was four, um, we started recognizing that she was autistic. I could see it in her, but not me. And we went through the process of, of having an assessment and I was looking at all, you know, all the modern research, what we now know about autism, which is not what we used to know. And I was like, Oh, that's me. That's me. I thought everyone did that. Doesn't everyone do that? And I was just going tick, 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 tick down the list. Um, you know, and then I just had this, I just had this moment where I woke up. It actually happened during my sleep. I I had a dream. And in the dream, I realized I was autistic and I woke up like in the middle of the night, like, like what happens in the movies. I actually woke up and sat up like with a bang and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm autistic. And then I spent all night just looking back over my entire life and everything made sense. Even though I didn't know that everything didn't make sense before, but when I was looking at it through the perspective of me being autistic, it made sense. And all of these things I'd felt, like all of these experiences I'd had and the confusions and the shutdown and the feeling of my school clothes touching my skin and and why it was so hard to make eye contact and so much empathy and so many big emotions and it just all made sense and it was the best day of my life like it all of a sudden I was able to let go of all these stories that I told myself like you're lazy you're selfish you're why are you so, so smart but so dumb um you're so unorganized blah, 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 all those things, all of those things within a couple of weeks of me self-identifying, all of those stories just seemed to fall off me. Literally, I was having these experiences where they were like veils just falling off my face and off my body and I felt free and it's it was the most liberating, I mean, it, it was wonderful. It was absolutely liberating. Um, and so I'm very, I very firmly support the idea of really actualizing as a neurodivergent person rather than being like, okay, how can we support you to be more like the non-autistic people? Right. To fit into this box over here. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, it's a, for my children as well. You know, um, I, we personally don't do early intervention and therapies. We, I'm very much sort of 
I, I very much support the idea of helping them to just really actualize as autistic children um, and and own it and and understand it and and use the word autistic and not be ashamed of it um, and it's it's really empowering um, to rec- to have clarity around your identity in a way that you know my me being autistic it's not just like I'm a person with a bit of autism <laughs> like autism impact like my in the the way my brain works impacts every single thing about my life. And so autism is like inherent to my core. It is who I am. Um, and I love that. Yeah. So finding out, getting this clarity, understanding neurodivergence, starting to understand it, it just changed my life. Yes. Best thing ever. Well, and and you claiming that and owning that, I mean, I, it brought your, just you expressing that brought tears to my eyes because it's, um, it's just such a, a new way. It's a new paradigm of thinking about this and your brilliance and your genius and your ability to impact the world, um, through music and your message and your ideas about music, that brilliance may or may not be due to your autism. I mean, do you, do you think about that? I think, I mean, it has to be because I don't think any part of me is not that. Right. The way I experience the world, the way I experience experience all of the sensory information, the way I experience my my spiritual world and my my sense of like multi-dimensional, you know, my my the way I interact with different species and the way I connect with the earth, I, all of it, all of it is to do with how my brain and body and nervous system all work together. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely the reason that I have this experience and relationship with music. Mm. And what a gift to your children and to those who just hear that that message and be it autism or any any othering, right? And, and most, if not all humans have felt othered, right? Have felt that they don't fit in, that they can't be who they really are. And so um, it just seems like a message for the moment. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think it's super important to recognize that, you know, autism and all of the other neurodivergences, they're not disorders, they're neurotypes. So autism is not a disorder. <laughs> it's it's a word that describes my brain and millions of other people's brains. So it's a neurotype. It's a descriptive word. It's not a disorder or a problem, even though it can be very disabling for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often disabling because the world doesn't understand us or accommodate our needs and the world is like the world is created for mainstream people who can fit into a very small kind of box and work nine to five and do all the things that are expected that's not most people um so the world is very difficult for a lot of people so it can be disabling to be neuro it is disabling to be neurodivergent but that doesn't mean that it is a disorder it's not something that needs to be fixed or changed Um, It's just something that needs to be deeply accepted. And I think part of the reason that we struggle with this is because also, and research shows us this, this, some people are are confronted by this at first, but, you know, research has shown us again and again and again, it's been peer-reviewed and peer-reviewed and peer-reviewed that neurodivergences are genetic. So 
children who are now being identified, for example, as autistic, it's highly likely that one or both of their parents are also autistic or neurodivergent. And so for them, they don't realise that they don't realise their children are autistic. Like I didn't recognise my children are autistic because to me it's our normal. That's my normal. Right. We all do that. I thought we all did that. I thought we all had trouble with our clothes and I thought we all didn't want to brush our hair and that's just normal. Um, and then their parents didn't know and their parents didn't know and we didn't really know it anything about neurodivergence until recently. Neuroscience is so new. Um, And so we have this internalised ableism and we have a lot of, like, complex um, misunderstandings of neurodivergence. And so it really is people now who can use their voices to explain or also non-speaking people who can communicate in ways where they have so much information to share, but people with lived experience telling their stories Um, And helping people understand that neurodivergence is just another type of brain and nothing to try to fix. Um, That is really, really changing the shape of how we can support our children and ourselves. It's happening in a big way right at the moment in in history. It's amazing. And you speak about it so just in such a freeing way. I mean, because there's so much stigma and shame and that's changing. And I think what you pointed out is, you know, that um, within families and within society. And so I think um, the more that it can be seen, I I love how you describe it as a neurotype, Mm -hmm. right? That it's, and that there are so many gifts and, um, and expressions that come through that if we can listen rather than trying to change. Absolutely. Yeah. Alison, I've loved um, sharing time with you and I find your presence just, um, I don't know, it's musical in and of itself. I don't know if anyone's told you that, like even the way that you talk has a musical lilt. I listened to, um, I wondered if if before we sign off, you sang a little ditty um, and I don't know if you remember it. I don't know if you make these up and then they leave your brain, but it was the one that was more singing, more laughing, more being outside. Yes. I love that. I think I remember it. <clears throat> that was my New Year's commitment to myself this year. So it's still kind of fresh. Okay. I realized that I was just doing the opposite of these things and I wanted to do more of these things this year. Uh, so it went more singing, more laughing, more being outside, more singing, more laughing, more being outside, less growing, more sleeping less buying, more being, more singing, more laughing, more being outside. And then I just, that that just came to me while I was at the beach jumping around in the waves and um, because for us New Year's is in the middle of summer. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I was jumping around in the ocean and those words came to me. I realised, like, this is what I need. I need to be in the ocean. I need to be outside more. Like, I've got to stop scrolling and I need to sleep. You know, that's one of my guilty little things that I still take my phone to bed a lot of the time and just lie there and scroll and I know that I shouldn't and it's a 
it's bad for me and I don't want to do it, but I do it anyway. And I figure it's not as bad as some other things. So who cares? And right. you know, all of that. So I was just telling myself I need to sleep more and I need to be more rather than buy, like, don't go down to the shop and get a coffee, stay at home and make yourself a hot drink and settle in that kind of stuff. So all those words came to me and, um, it really summed up what I wanted for, my, for myself this year. So for me, a melodic mantra, as well as the music being powerful in how it impacts my body and my brain and nervous system, the words, in some ways, words never really matter. I could just sing la, 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 and it would still have mm-hmm. such an impact. It would still, I would still be allowing my body to feel safe, regardless of the words. But the words add this extra element now of, of, of giving me an affirmation that reminds me of a truth that I really wish to embody. And we all know that when we sing those affirmations or speak them over and over, um, neuroplasticity, you know, we our, our brain starts to believe that thing and remember that thing. And next time I pick up the phone to scroll, I'm like, hang on, remember? You want better sleep quality? <laughs> um, and so it reminds me. So, yeah, the words... words can be here nor there. I'm really sort of beastly careless when it comes to what words we sing with music because it's an added bonus. Um, If you want to use words, then they can be used in a very powerful way as well. Yeah, that one just made me pause because I think that so many women I know um, want all of those things. And so that was brilliant. Um, I'm wondering, Alison, how, how you are working with people. Can people work with you in any way? Yeah, I'm working um, all online now so that I can really manage my outputs and my inputs and all of that. Uh, You know, everything's become online now anyway over the last couple of years. Um, So I have, you can find, I, I, I try to make as many free resources as I can because I'm really, that is how I am creating this legacy of helping people understand that music equals safety is by just making it as accessible as possible. So I make a lot of videos on my Facebook and Instagram pages, which you can find by looking up music in the brain or I'll link link those in the show notes for sure. Thank you. Uh, And I have a YouTube channel and then I have, uh, I have a a course um, called brains equal behaviors, which is a 10 week course about understanding neurotypes and how children's brains develop and how we can support them to regulate rather than think about behaviors. It's all, it's all about stepping away from behavior management and towards regulation. Um, and I have a membership called the brain care cafe where we do melodic mantras and we have song sharing circles every two weeks. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, Uh, maybe I'll give you the link if you'd like for your um, listeners in case they'd like to join. I usually only open it up for new members twice a year, but every now and then I feel like let's let's let people join the club um, because it's so special in there. We do a lot of singing. Um, and I'm just I've just finished creating a new course called The Magic and Medicine of Music. And mm. yeah, it's gonna be as good as it sounds. <laughs> and that is a six-week course which will launch for the very first time this September. Well, I'm so excited. That course is going to help people reconnect with their voice. We're going to learn why we're ashamed of our voice and why we're afraid of using it and we're going to... We're going to remember our musicality and we're going to learn to express ourselves musically and then we're going to learn how to help our children do the same. So it's Mm. going to be great. 
Allison Davies, thank you so much. I feel as if you are the guide that um, so many people could get over that, you know, that, that silencing of their voice. Cause you just are so easy to talk to. You make it just seem like it's possible. So I'm really yeah. excited. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. I'm going to link all of these things in the show notes. I, I'm, and so I'm sure many people listening have already heard your videos. I will attest on your Facebook page and your Instagram page. You're so generous with tips and tools and singing. And um, so thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Oh, thank you so much for recognizing that. It's, it's a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.